The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JustBaseball when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Just Baseball Show is presented by BetMGM. Walker Bueller is back in a great conversation about Walker's first rehab assignment with Oklahoma City. Triple-A ball, man. And this guy, like, he looked so good. And we hit on it very briefly uh, yesterday on yesterday's show. But, man, I mean, hearing his perspective on that, it was like... You know, just kind of like unfiltered, fully detailed look at, at what he's done in this rehab assignment. And that was a very unique perspective and something that we don't take for granted. Not at all. I mean, it's it's something that being able to I was just looking forward to talking to him the second we, we watched that inning. And I know you had the iPad you mentioned, like dialed up on the side uh, during your game. And uh, I was trying to watch every pitch I could. And it, it's just exciting from the standpoint of just baseball is better when Walker Buehler is throwing, but exciting from the standpoint of, you know, we've gotten a little glimpse into just how hard he has worked to get back to the mound and get back to doing what he is doing. And uh, it was just cool to be able to hear straight from him, you know, how he felt and and how he came away from that. But <laughs> I think it's very clear that Walker Buehler is never satisfied, which is why he is so great at what he does. I mean, the, there's always something to improve. And uh, that was clear for him. It was like, yeah, that was a good checkpoint, but like, 
you know, now, now, now it's time to, to, to do better. And yeah. that's why he's so good. Breaking balls were slow. Okay. <laughs> you threw 96, dude. Like he said, yeah, that was, like, was that fine. It was okay. I hit not, yeah, I was fine. I touched 96. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good for you, man. It's a good start, man. <laughs> I'd give an it's arm a good and start, a leg man. to throw 96. Um, we got to talk about a guy that sits a hundred being done for the year. And we got to talk about a guy that, has over $300 million committed to him. And uh, he, for some reason, can't tell the media what's going on in terms of his, you know, injury timeline, which is just kind of bizarro. Um, So we'll do that right before Bueller, but let's start with Paul Skeens. Skeens general manager, Ben Charrington, the pirates said that he's on the development list. He is done for the year. They had previously said 20 innings for Skeens in pro ball. I think it was six and two thirds was the final tally. Interesting. He looked great in his second double-A start. All of his runs against him, and those six and two-thirds came in his double-A debut. Um, No need to slam the panic button whatsoever. I'm just curious why they said 20 and shut it down at six and two-thirds. That's why I think it's silly that they gave an actual number out uh, to begin with, personally. I I just think that that set a weird expectation and it should have just been like hey well, we're just going to see how he feels and go go start um, by start yeah and i think that's what they should have done i i'm not able to get access to the final start of of what will be his 2023 20, season here but from what i was able to gather i was actually going to bring it up on the call up the last couple outings and i mean this is so not a big deal but he was a tick down and this is a guy who sits 99 to 100. So a tick down means 97, 98. But remember, he's only going in two inning spurts here. So for me, I, I think he was just used up, like just tired. This tired. guy pitched, he pitched a full collegiate season, then won the College World Series. And it's not like he wasn't throwing a lot of pitches in those outings. I mean, we're talking three of his final four collegiate outings were at least 120 pitches. I don't even think he should have went 20. I think I'm glad he's being shut down. He's thrown more than enough this year. Uh, and I think we saw him just a little fatigued there at the end because in a two inning spurt, if you took Paul Skeens in June and told him you're throwing two innings, I think he's sitting one one. Like, like I think he's definitely not throwing very many pitches under a hundred. Uh, so I think this is just a dude that already eclipsed, you know, pretty much a workload that he's never really eclipsed and you know, came into pro ball riding a hundred and it was a 243 pitches over his final two outings of collegiate baseball. Like that's a lot. It's a lot. Um, 122 and two thirds innings before the calendar hit July one is also a lot. And I know that they start earlier in college than you do at the big league level, but like, Hey man, you know, you've got spring training starting around that time too. I mean, he had thrown, I think by the time Omaha ended, he had thrown more innings than any pitcher in baseball, regardless of level. So yeah. more innings than anybody at the college level, but more innings than anybody at the major or minor league level at that point. So this guy, like, yeah, he was probably just exhausted. And, and I thought 20 was a weird one. Um, and, you know, you started to do the weird calculations. And like selfishly as, you know, I'm sitting here at, at the ballpark of the Pirates AAA affiliate. I was like, okay, if he were to go two innings every start and be on normal rest, then that would mean that he would have like two more innings remaining after the double A season ends. And maybe he comes to triple A the last week of the season, or, you know, maybe they like 
skip a start in double and he throws two innings in triple and then he throws two two innings in the big leagues like as a you know reward for what he's done this year but yeah i i thought that was kind of weird um the other thing that was kind of weird was they had him on the pirates telecast and he was talking about his excitement for seeing dylan cruz this week like pitching against cruz this week and he's not gonna do it so and that was monday night that he was talking about this so just kind of bizarre man yeah i don't want to speculate on on much but I, I think you know maybe he throws a bullpen and it's just like man my my i'm just feeling it man I'm just like i'm gassed yeah yeah i'm gassed and and with, with your number one overall pick like it doesn't need to be uh my elbow hurts my shoulder hurts my something hurts for them to shut him down it could just be i'm tired it's that's all they need to bomb. hear i don't really yeah. feel like it yeah like it's just that's i'm shut him down like that's your number one overall pick yeah. there's there's nothing that he's going to figure out in the next 14 innings that's going to be worth him maybe throwing some tired pitches because the tired pitches are the most damaging thing to a pitcher's arm. Uh, you, you start to lose, you know, your, your normal arm slot, all of a sudden it looks a little different and yeah, that's the worst thing you can do. So seems like purely precautionary uh, from everything that I could guess. And, you know, I think he's just going to come back a little bit fresher next year. And I think it's the right way to do it. I, he's thrown a lot. In terms of pitchers next year, like regardless of level, um, I mean, Strider is up there for me. McClanahan's not going to throw. Bueller's number one because, you know, we've got a bunch of bias. But, like, in terms of guys, major or minor leagues that I'm most excited to watch, Skeens is, like, yeah, at or near the top of the list. Like, he's in no the doubt. three to five range. I mean, I think in Unleashed, Tink Hens is up there for me, too. Like, if we get to see Tink Hens go seven innings, one start, that'll be fun. But 2024 is going to be really fun for Paul Skeens. Um, real quick on Anthony Rendon before Walker Bueller. Anthony Rendon, I I saw Sam Blum, who I do believe is still at the athletic um, covering the angels, but Sam Blum, you know, tweeted, uh, you know, he was Rendon was asked about the status of his injury. And he said, no habla inglés today and, and walked out. And this is the fourth or fifth time this has happened this year where he's just like opted not to talk to anybody. He seems miserable. And I don't say that from like a, oh, I can't stand the guy perspective. I'm saying that from like a, he just seems genuinely unhappy to be at a ballpark right now perspective. And that sucks because he's really good when he's on the field, but he hasn't been on the field at all for the angels pretty much since he signed this huge deal. And man, like it's so hard for me to convince a fan of the LA angels to root for this guy when he's so ridiculously unavailable like this. Yeah, it's tough because I feel for him from the perspective of he's been hurt and now you want this team. If it was, if it was playing well, if this was a team in the playoff race, I'm sure we see Rendon probably fighting to come back and and play. But the, the reality is it's, it's a dumpster fire. They did what they did with so many of his teammates and he probably just, is pretty frustrated with the situation that said there's the other side of the of, of the coin which is dude you're getting paid 35 million dollars a year like just go if you can play play maybe he can't maybe he physically can't then say that you're a grown man that's the part that i just don't get you can be frustrated with the angel situation i think it's pathetic what the angels organization has done uh, over the course of the last couple of years and the way that they're running things you can be frustrated with your with your injuries that you feel like have probably been a lot of bad luck, but man, it's your job. You're paid several hundred million dollars to 
either one, play, or two, every once in a while, communicate why you can't play. To me, it was just incredibly immature. I That, that would make me almost more mad as a fan because it's just like, I want to watch this team. I want to see Anthony Rendon on the field if I'm an Angels fan, even if it's a subdued version. And he's not even going to say what's going on or why he's not playing or or why he isn't available. I, to me, that's that's just, that's just not it. Yeah, and I know that there are some guys, and I mean this in like a non-malicious way. I know there are some guys that don't care what the public thinks of them, and, and that can be a good thing. But it's also like kind of a tough thing when you are supposed to be a superstar player in one of the four major sports in the United States. And, you know, like Rendon is in Los Angeles. He is, I mean, now that Otani's going to hit the open market, like he and Trout are the only thing they've got going for him. And, and at this point, like, how do you view Rendon? And the thing that I guess has like made me latch on to athletes that I've never met before is vulnerability. And there's just no vulnerability here. We're like Alec Bohm. I'm an Alec Bohm fan because he expressed vulnerability last year and he expressed frustration. And like, I don't know. I I just gravitate towards dudes that talk about their frustrations because it it is a certain level of vulnerable that fans can A, relate to um, because it's so hard to relate to these guys in any other aspect of life and B, like latch onto and say, that's my guy. I want to see him come out the other side. I have yeah. no idea and, what Anthony Rendon feels. And and even if you don't want to be this open book and 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 you know totally pour your heart out about all of your frustrations, like Steven Strasburg did, his former teammate, when when I watched his final start of his career. I mean, what the stuff that he shared was remarkable. If you don't want to be that guy, like people are different, that's fine. But I still think you have an obligation to say, I'm not feeling well, it just doesn't feel right. I'm probably gonna shut it down for this year. Say something, especially the the and I saw a couple different things of it where it was one side of it's like, I'm going to give an update soon. And then he disappeared and never came back. And then another day, which was the most recent day, it was no and glass, which is just like so weird. It's just like, that's just not a, I don't know. It's just such a weird thing to do. It's uh, and this is also the same guy who grabbed a fan by the shirt and like clutched and tried to like, you know, got in his face. Like there's definitely some unique aspects to Anthony Rendon's personality. And that's why when, you know, you give a long-term contract to a guy. It's it's not just the player that you're you're marrying the person, or at least uh, you're you're getting engaged for about ten years, and and that's exactly what or seven years here for the Angels, and that's exactly what they did. And you know, I think there's it's more than just what they haven't gotten on the field. It's also struggles of just dealing with a guy that fits into the clubhouse. Uh, before we kick it to Walker, by the way, I want to issue an apology to to Braves fans because I also messed it up again on this episode. Um, on the last episode, I shortchanged them and said that I think I even said it was two out of three for the Dodgers. I don't know why I did that. I don't know. We were, it was late. We were delirious. I was delirious last night, but three out of four for the Braves in that series. It was a great series. We talked about it. We broke it down. I think all the takeaways were great, but I don't know why I said that. I don't know. Whatever it was, I still think it was a statement for the Dodgers. Like I think it was impressive that Emmett Sheehan could turn out a good start. We talked about that and that they were pretty much in every single game. But on the flip side, I mean, like that was a home series for the Dodgers. They played good ball and they still dropped three out of four to what is a dominant Braves team. Yeah, it was a statement for both of them, I think, in different ways. We're like, hey, the Dodgers played really well. And with a lot of young pitchers, they hung with the Atlanta Braves. 
But for the Braves, they went on the road and took three of four. And I think that all the takeaways are still pertinent, like regardless of series outcome, because they played them tight. And like, dude, I, I it was just so star studded. And I obviously we're in like a result. Baseball is a results game. Like you got to win games to make it to the postseason. You got to win rings to, you know, really like be one of the all time greats. And, you know, the the thing that jumps out to me about this series this past weekend was it was just so individually driven, like the narrative surrounding Acuna, surrounding Betts, surrounding Freeman, surrounding even a guy like Bobby Miller on Sunday yeah. was just fascinating. And I thought like, hey, we're in a really good spot with baseball because you've got the two best teams in baseball matching up and you've got the individuals kind of controlling the narrative of the weekend. So, yeah, I apology accepted on behalf of Braves fans by yours. Thanks, man. I always shortchange them. Yeah, I but dude, like they don't need anybody long changing them because they're the fucking Atlanta Braves and they're a wagon and they're the best team in baseball. And we can say that a billion times an episode. If you want the Atlanta Braves are the best team in baseball. I agree. That isn't a hot take. Arm agrees without further ado, Walker Bueller. Well, we're going to get into a lot of stuff, including a video breakdown on uh, Grayson Rodriguez, the tail end with Walker Bueller. But um, I'm sure this is the question that's on a lot of baseball people's mind. How you feeling? What's good. going on? It was uh, it was good to be back for sure. Obviously, it's kind of another another step in this uh, process or, or whatnot. But yeah, a little sore, a little uh, yeah. I'm I'm glad we got it done. But now we've got a couple more to to kind of get some stuff figured out. Obviously, not everything is is kind of exactly the way you want it right off the jump. But uh, yeah, big box checked. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a very big milestone to get back on the mound in, in a game setting there. I mean, what was what was the adrenaline like for you? Because it's been so long between your last outing. I mean, it, how did it feel just to be out there in a game setting, even if it's not the big leagues? Yeah, I mean, it's good. It, you know, I think being in the clubhouse is, is a big part and, and being background guys. And um, no, it's just fun. Obviously, we had a little day game, so um didn't have to wait too long to get out there but um yeah it's it's a fun deal so i said this on the the tuesday show because we took monday off for labor day but i i was watching your start it was like tail end of our game and we were losing by a lot so i had you on the ipad while we had like the eighth ninth inning going on and um listen you've said it and i assumed you were saying it in like a self-deprecating manner like oh i've i've put weight on like oh bad weight you look like a brick shithouse dude what like do you feel like I don't know like getting stronger getting thicker getting durable was kind of like your plan to come out of TJ yeah I mean I'm not going to say that I don't have more body fat now than I used to right but you got a uh, shit ton more muscle you look like you're playing outside (laughs) linebacker for the Rams on Sunday uh I also got the uh I also got to pick the jersey that's my favorite jersey down there so it may make you look a little bigger with that v-neck but um, uh, no, I, yeah, I'm probably 12 to 15 pounds heavier than, than I've ever been in, in the big leagues at least. And, uh, yeah, I think it's part of it. it. You know, you, it's all this mass times acceleration stuff. And, and I've kind of always gone against the grain and, and not really cared too much about it, but, um, they cut you open twice. Sometimes you, you got to try something else. Well, I'm I'm excited to talk about the, the mechanics and someone that put together a really cool side-by-side of, you know, just how much quicker you are. I know we touched on that a little bit in another episode, but it was cool to see it in real time real quick. Before we get to that though, 
what was your goal kind of out of that outing? Was it really just to get out there and throw and just feel good? Or, you know, was there, were there any mental checkpoints going into that? No, I mean, I, I hate to say like as experienced as, as I am, but like I have played in the big leagues a, a decent amount and, and thrown, you know, 600 some odd innings. And, and there's this kind of understanding of the feeling of the ball out of the hand and certain pitches and, um, kind of what I think I need to be able to do to get major leaguers out. And you're just kind of trying to see how close you are to that. Obviously, you know, they've got some good players on that, that triple A team. And, um, you know, I had two good innings, but obviously some things that I would want to improve. I gave up two hard hit balls and, um, a three Oh count and a O two bad fastball and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, for the most part, you're, you're just trying to get out of there healthy and, and feeling good about yourself. And, um i got challenged which was cool so that was uh that was a funny one it was a strike so um yeah kind of i guess everything kind of went my way so i was going to ask you about the challenge system because that capped a three pitch punch out and right before they went to replay or like went to the board to show the challenge you could see like you started your k strut a little bit like you were walking around the mound really confident were you thinking like, okay, let me stop and look at the board, or was it like I'm gonna sell the crap out of this? And I, I well, no, I haven't done it in 400 and something odd days, right? I the, I struck out the guy in the first, but it was to end the inning, so um, it just kind of came out. I, I don't think there was really any thought to it, but it is kind of a, a funny deal where it goes up like a you know like a tennis serve or whatever. Yeah. But um, no, it's kind of cool. Do you like yeah. it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that the numbers and like how that works, I guess you get to miss three of them. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it would work in the big leagues. You know, I think most of these things that we've changed recently, we've always said like, well, I don't know if it'll work in the big leagues and they seem to be working. I I don't think I'm going to be the biggest proponent of it going to the major leagues, but, um, I think it was it was probably a little bit better than I thought it would be. Good, I'll take that. I think it's it, at least a little bit of a middle ground between the you know what we have right now and like the full ABS, which I think is right. a little bit too far the other way. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, it's just like how many can you get right? You know what I mean? Everyone's <laughs> oh, like okay, you get three of them. Like if you miss them, but then there's really no limit as long as you're right. Right. Yes. So like it's kind of. Uh, I guess, open-ended in that way. And I think that's kind of a lot, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it can be 10 if you get seven right. Right. Which is just overwhelming. Yeah, it can be a lot. I think Like, it's just too much. Yeah. Um, It's also a little bit of an indictment on the umpire in that one. That would be, that'd be a rough, a rough go if he's uh, getting (laughs) it, getting it wrong that many times in a row. But it was Bruce Kuntz on, on Twitter who put it side by side. It was you, of course, in a start in the big leagues, and then of course this start most recently, where we, we talked about the you know getting rid of the the overhead move, but just in general the tempo. I mean, you're you're delivering the ball in the video on the left uh, before you're even really uh, like getting down and, and and splitting your hands uh, yeah. on the video uh, on the older side. What's kind of the the mentality behind the the faster tempo and and how how long did it take to kind of get comfortable with that? I mean, if you go and look back at college or high school or even some in pro ball, like I didn't do the overhead forever. I think the only time I did overhead in college was literally my last game that I threw in college. So um, 
you know, this delivery is probably, if not more so equally as kind of prevalent in, in my career as the overhead. Um, you know, there's certain kind of rhythm pieces, the tap and stuff like that with the glove that um, we liked some of the stuff that was happening when I did that. And, um, you know, the over the head is kind of a rhythm tempo thing. Obviously there's, everyone talks about how many guys, what percentage in the hall of fame goes over the head and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's obviously part of the game, but for me right now, I think trying to be as simple and, and somewhat athletic as I can be is, is the hardest thing to, to get when you're coming out of rehab. And, uh, you know, you spend so many months just playing catch on flat ground and kind of making a lot of throws that you're really just trying not to hurt. Right. You're just trying to like feel good. Um, as opposed to kind of throwing for, you know, a performance enhance or something like that, like trying to throw harder or whatever. And so that kind of athletic part of that, I, I think is, is something that at least for now I'm going to stick with, but, you know, you know, I don't, next year I may have the overhead back. It's just a matter of uh, what you feel like puts you in a good position to, to feel rhythmic and explosive and, and athletic. And that's where the tempo comes from too, I assume. Cause like when, when I say yeah. tempo and up tempo delivery, I'm actually thinking about your guy at Vandy Carson Fulmer, right? That's yeah. the guy that kind of jumps to mind. Yeah. I mean, if you really think about it, it's less so about us trying to dictate a tempo for me. It's always been, we used to long toss a lot more. We used to throw a lot of balls really hard, trying to be really athletic in college. You end up doing a lot of PFPs and a lot of kind of non pitching type throwing. And it just speeds your body up, right? It, it's not necessarily that I'm trying to dictate this tempo. It's just I'm doing the move that I do to the plate. And I don't necessarily know from same spot, same spot, when I go over the head, if my hands get to the same place, I don't necessarily think I'm that much faster. It's just that there's not this drawn-out thing before that makes the whole clip longer. Does that make sense? It's like from the time my leg moves, it's probably pretty similar. Yeah. Got it. And when you were kind of coming out of this game, how much do you look back at certain pitches, look back at the mechanics, or is it kind of just a feel thing? You already know where, where to go and where to build off of this past outing already. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of bats in there that get you kind of confused. I'm a three Oh and a guy and kind of didn't really super feel like I misfired those. And then came back, I ended up striking the guy out to end the first inning. And I just tried to throw that ball right down the middle, but it ended up being away. So all my misses were kind of pulls. Um, that's adrenaline and that's kind of your shoulder for me. Like my elbow has been obviously the issue, but my shoulder was pretty sore or being used in that outing. Like if that, you know, it's just not used to being out there as far as it was. If you're throwing the ball three or four miles an hour harder than you had been the week before, like, you know, you're just not always ready for that. And so I didn't love it. And that's a pull. Like when my shoulder hurts, you pull the ball. So there's just little things like that that you kind of, figure out and figure out the ranges and the uh, aim points or the feels that actually lead to making the throw that you want. Right. It's not as simple as just pointing a gun, right. And shooting it there. There's a lot of little stuff and little feels and little things that you tell yourself that don't actually happen <laughs> that lead you to what you actually want to, to occur. And um, you know, that's what these rehabs are for is, is for your body number one, but also to kind of get your stuff, you know, dialed in in some way. I've got a couple more questions on, on the rehab, but quick aside, my eyes drifted to your right. Huge bottle of Buffalo Trace. Where did yeah, that come from? Man? Celebratory? 
Um, yeah, we, we did a little run uh, for when we, we wanted to be ready when I got back and Good. Uh, stumbled upon two two big bottles. Good stuff. Um, I saw always you. Out, we got to always be hunting. I understand. Um, yeah, your your agent, Glaze, sent me a photo when he was in Houston to go see fellow Excel guy Reed Detmer's throw. He got a whole bunch of stuff. And I was like, yep. yeah, Glaze does a good job with that. He does a good yeah. job with it. But I also asked, like, how do you get it home? And he was like, I brought the bubble wrap. So he was proactive yeah. about it, too. Yeah, he was ready to go. So uh, I saw you went airport bourbon, which is kind of crazy because, like, airport beer is the vibe thing. Yeah, I just had to do it. They didn't really have a great selection. I went with a Calumet, which was okay. They had no Buffalo Trace, so it's just part of the process, I guess. I get it. Um, all right. Give us a chance to fire up Dodger fans because, okay. like, we've talked a lot about, you know, over the course of this summer, how you're a guy that will ingest a lot of things that are said about you on social media or written about you or you said about you on TV. Um, you know, we've also talked about these checkpoints. This is a huge checkpoint throwing in a ball game and the Dodger fans, like what I was taking in after that rehab, they were so excited to see you <laughs> back on the mound. Like how does that get you fired up to see the resounding, like, thank God Walker's back throwing. He's going to join us soon. No, I mean, it's obviously cool. I, I think we have probably the, probably, you know, one of the arguably the top three fan bases in, in all of sports and, and especially baseball and, um, you can see with our attendance and and kind of all the all the numbers behind that, right? But um, yeah, it's a great place to play, and and you know I'm glad glad they want me back. We'll see we'll see what happens. Obviously, there's a, a few more outings between now and then, but uh, yeah, everything feels feels okay for right now, and and was obviously happy with with the rehab. So uh, now it's do it two more times, maybe a third. You know, you never know. You got to figure it out and. You know, my big thing is I, I want to come back and be really good. I don't want to come back and yeah, I told somebody the other day I don't want to come back just because I have a locker, right? And um, you know, it's important to me. There's 25 guys, 40 guys, however you want to look at it, that have have put us in the position to play in the playoffs. And just because I was one of those guys, you know, three years ago, doesn't mean that that I have to be a part of that equation this year or or deserve it, right? I, I need to go and um be good enough to to help us win games so um uh, that's kind of where i'm at what are some of the the checkpoints moving forward to kind of make sure you you can be that guy that can help win games is obviously just from a distance i would say those two innings that you threw i know you have the the nitpick <laughs> things like like that guy could probably help somebody right now but what are the checkpoints kind of moving forward to to keep progressing towards potentially helping this year yeah, I mean, I think the top end velocity was fine, right? Throwing, you know, hit 96, which is fine. For me, I would like to throw a little yeah. harder. That's fine. Um, but the breaking balls are all kind of slow right now. So I think that's probably the next thing. Um, you know, you look at a, a breaking ball in a high school game, right? It's going to be in the 70s. You watch most of them in the big leagues. They're in the 80s, the mid-80s. And um, <clears throat> they're a little slow for kind of, for me, even when my fastball is in that range. So that's kind of the next thing that, that I need to, to get going. But, um, you know, as long as they're sharp and, and whatever things you can get away with some of that stuff, but those are kind of the, the nitpicky things for me. We'll move to some other stuff in the 
game here in a minute, but I read a really good article on MLB.com that quoted Gavin Stone after his start. And you've got some weird sort of like voodoo magic going on because he was just PCL pitcher of the week. I saw Um, (laughs) he shoved after the fact, man. And this guy has been it's been finicky, to be honest, this year. Like he's gotten up. He struggled. He struggled at points in triple, but he's looked really good in triple. And he strung together one of his best, if not his best outing of the year as a piggyback on you. And he mentioned that like talking to you about baseball stuff, about non-baseball stuff was really nice. So the mentorship side of that, or just like the vet side of that, was that kind of cool to be back in a triple A, you know, clubhouse kind of chatting with, I don't know, your future teammates and your present teammates? Yeah. Um, it's weird. I actually kind of knew less guys than I thought I did that were in triple A, right? You, when you're kind of removed from it, you feel like, uh, oh, it's just all the guys that were in big league camp with us. And you just think it's going to be this 25 guys. And it's just not, there's like seven guys left or whatever, but, um, no, obviously good to see the guys that you were in camp with and, um, yeah, Gavin's an interesting one because he's he's got the talent to do it. Uh, he's got the stuff. He started throwing this little cutter that I like, and um, yeah, it just it, he's he's starting to put it together. You know, I, I think we've talked a lot about in the past about rookies and Dodger rookies and rookies in general, and like it is very very difficult to come up and be really good in the major leagues quickly. Some of us are very fortunate to kind of fall into that ability. I I think it's not always about the person. Obviously, Bobby Miller has been trending even better now, but had some rocky stuff in there. We've had rookies start off really good and then have a tough time. Like, it's just kind of a testament to how good everyone is in the major league. Like, they will adjust to you, and if you can't keep staying one step ahead of them, it, it's difficult. Um, and Gavin, obviously, with this new cutter and trying to get the ball to go left, we know about the changeup and whatever, but um, you know, he's making an adjustment and, and hopefully when he comes back up, it'll, it'll pay some dividends for him. What did you see in that exact outing right there that it kind of just working off of you that Gavin kind of looked like the guy that could potentially help out at the big league level at some point. And, and he's done it in flashes, but you, you mentioned that cutter. That's something that was standing out to me. Is it fastball command? Like what, what are some of the separators from these guys that can you know, come in and triple a and put up some really good numbers and then kind of struggle once they get to the big leagues. Yeah. I, I think when you're talking about a guy that has like a 70 or 80 grade pitch, you know, you typically think of like the slider, the fastball, but he has a changeup and uh, changeup is, is one of the harder pitches to like continuously go to, right. Like, especially at the big league level, like if you think a changeup is coming and you sit on changeup, like you're probably going to hit it. Right. If the guy has a really, really good slider and it's in a decent spot, it's hard to, it's hard to do a whole lot with. So I think those guys have to be a little bit finer. And, and I think for him getting ahead of guys, being able to throw something other than a fastball to get ahead, um, lets him kind of protect that pitch and, and keep that thing a little bit more hidden. And, um, you know, we saw in the big leagues, he was having to throw a lot of changeups up just to try and throw strikes. And then they've seen the whole, you know, they've seen it two or three times in the abat and it's just hard. So yeah. uh, I think for him having the ability to make the ball go, th- go both ways, and getting ahead and, and kind of the basic stuff like that um, is really going to help him, uh, you know, especially going forward. But, you know, he just has to keep doing it, man. He has to agree and all that stuff. I, I think he's an interesting one where he went to Central Arkansas and it's kind of not quite the level of some college baseball. Obviously, he's extremely talented. That's not a, you know, bash on him at all. But, like, just 
certain, you know, you play in the ACC, you play in Omaha, you play in all this stuff and there's pressure and there's fans and there's all these things that you're going to see going forward. And if you haven't seen those things, you're, you're having to make a lot of adjustments at once, right? You're having to adjust because you can't just throw fastballs by everyone because it's pro ball now and your stuff. And now it's a new pitch and I'm playing in front of a lot more people than I've ever seen. Right. It's a big, it kind of turns into a laundry list after a while where I think some guys come up and they've played in certain environments for a long time that it really, at least in my opinion, for me, it was more about just making sure that like I was pitching the way that I needed to less. So um, handling the TV and the fans and all of that kind of stuff, I guess. Another guy who threw at BC threw in probably the biggest game of his career to this point in MHC and on Saturday. And, you know, like we we were talking about this yesterday. Um, you know, it, there are some games in the regular season that just kind of feel like playoff games and, and all three games between the, the Dodgers and Braves this weekend felt like playoff games. And Sheehan, yes, he was behind 3-0, but it was 95-96 on the outer black. And Acuna takes it 121.7 dead center. That's like tip your cap. It's like you're just an alien life form, dude, whatever. (laughs) Um, But then Mookie has a great weekend, too. And Freddie Freeman might get to 60 doubles. The baseball world wants to talk Mookie versus Acuna right now. And this weekend was awesome to see both of them at their best. What have you kind of taken away from Mookie Betts this year? I know you've watched a lot of Mookie this year. And then Acuna, when you've had a chance to look at it. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're both obviously having special years. Acuna, 30, 60 or whatever has never been done. Uh, you know, I think the big thing with Mookie is just all the stuff that he's doing that's not um, stat line stuff, right? Playing three different positions and hitting leadoff every – I mean, they both hit leadoff, I guess. But, yeah, I just – they're both he's having special years. Yeah. yeah, he's not, you know, and not playing shortstop, but a major league level, having not played shortstop for eight years, right? Like, and doing well. It's not like, oh, we're just putting him out there because we don't have anyone else. Like, he's playing shortstop over major league shortstops and over major league second baseman. And, um, yeah, just the power numbers, the the defensive stuff. Obviously, we know what he, what he is in right field, but um, – to kind of be positive war defensively doing, doing what he's doing is, is pretty wild. And uh, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to make any point for either of them because they both kind of do the, the same things in a little different way, right? Like they both play really good defense and throw and run and hit and whatever, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's especially here for, for this MVP race. It's kind of crazy to me how, you look back at all the award stuff, right. And like the different, the difference between what gets it done in that year, right. Like, like all three of those guys, Freddie Mookie and, and Ronald would win MVP like almost every other year. Right. And now one of them is probably going to come in third (laughs) with like a career year for like borderline hall of fame players. No, it's, it's all a little bit about timing and just having the right season at the Right. right time, which is, that's the unfortunate part of it. And I, I was thinking about an offseason project of like some of the best seasons that didn't win MVP or didn't win Cy Young. And we've talked yeah. about your your season where you could have won Cy Young, I think, arguably that year, but it also a bunch of other years as well. I wanted to ask one more question about this series, though, because the Braves look like the most unbeatable team on the face of the earth. And then your Dodgers take two out of three uh, in 
what was a again just a hard fought series. Every game was within a couple runs. What did the, did you feel like that was kind of? I know the Dodgers feel like they could beat anybody, but was that games. kind of a, a galv- galvanizing win there? Didn't it was we a play four, four games? games. Oh, yeah, was four games. Started on it was four Thursday. games. Ah, the calendar flipped over. Good catch. So it's a two-two split. Yeah, eight that seven on totally, Thursday. Totally excuse my question now. Um, eight seven on Thursday, uh, six three Atlanta on Friday. So they took the front two, Atlanta four two, and then three one. Bobby got the win on Sunday. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the first game and they kind of rush out to a lead, and then it gets really tight late, right? Like you don't know what's going to happen in games like that in the playoffs, and and I think being able to stay in games is is a big deal and um you know obviously a 2-2 split like you can't take too much out of it but I think for Bobby and I think for Emmett I I think knowing that they kind of belong there in that kind of series is is one of those moments that we're talking about that going forward that thing might not feel as big as it is obviously I struggled in the playoffs my first couple outings but I think mentally I didn't have as big a fear of it because I had pitched in that 163 game, right? Like you got close to the atmosphere, but not the exact same. And, um, you know, being at home in front of their crowd and having that kind of energy obviously is going to be something that's going to help them going forward. All right. Before we get into um, Grayson Rodriguez and the video element, I've got like a really hard hitting question here. (laughs) My college roommates, have a fantasy league going um it's a keep one and i know that you're a big fantasy football guy yeah jonathan taylor was my keeper last year Mm -hmm. can't do it again this year if you keep one you lose your first round pick Mm -hmm. taylor aaron jones amon ross st brown Devontae smith do i just punt it and take a first round pick or do i keep one you have any uh any idea where your pick would be right I finished second in a 10-teamer, so that means I'll pick ninth. But if you keep it, you forfeit your first-round pick. So I could be picking yeah. like second. Well, so you're just analyzing if any of those guys you would take ninth. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I – How have you fared? I had the first pick and the third pick in my two drafts yesterday. Jefferson won? I took Jefferson, and then my other league, which was my small league back home, I – Logged on a minute too late and got auto got auto picked my third overall pick. Who was it? I got Eckler. I'm not mad about it. I just would have liked to have done the pick myself. You know. Yeah, like who would you have taken? Just maybe still Eckler. Well, it depends. I didn't even see who went second, so I didn't even just auto drafted me Eckler. I guess it would have been Eckler and McCaffrey, but I don't know. It just it frustrated me. But I did get Justin Jefferson in our Dodger league, which I'm pretty happy with. I had a nice little run in that one. We feel pretty good about our team. I'll I'll tell you. Hold on, let me see here. Uh, yeah, who have we have here? we asked? I was gonna say, have we have we asked on on air like who who the fantasy football guys are uh, on that Dodgers team? We we've actually kind of morphed our league into like everyone is somehow in. There's a lot of partnerships, a lot of three man <laughs> unit teams. Uh, so we ended up we end up with like most of the guys are somehow involved. Because it's it's horrific if you're not involved to be in a you know 25 man locker room and that's all everyone's talking about. Yeah. You have like a team. Uh, you have a co-owner or are you solo? I'm with uh, JP Fireheisen. Nice. Ooh, the rehab boys, but I got I got Gibbs, Brees Hall, Jefferson, Waddle, Drake London, and I did get Jonathan Taylor in the fifth round. 
So if he plays, if he plays football this year, I'll probably be in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I, I took him earlier than that. I don't. I took him in the third. Don't feel great yeah. about that. But yeah, we got, it was before. It was the before the pup list. So yeah, that's that's pretty did, stacked. Yeah. We Ooh. did the, we did Kirk Cousins, Jefferson, and Hawkinson. Ooh. So if Minnesota scores, we'll be in business. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, who are the big? Who's the you know kind of the feared person in the in the locker room in terms or in the clubhouse in terms of fantasy football? Like who's the guy that kind of has the edge a little bit or, or puts um, a little bit more time into it. Kirsch has won a lot. However, Kirsch always has help. I don't think it's always. Um, Who's the help? He's played with Stripling before. He's played with some video guys before. I think he's playing with our uh, media guy this year. Mark yeah, that. I don't think he's making a ton of the decisions. He's kind of a master delegator in that regard. Yeah, yeah um barnes barnes is pretty big into it i know he plays in a few few leagues maybe 10 so he's he's big into it um, uh, are you still in jock's league because jock is a commish right um i'm not in jock's league there is a big league that i decided not to play in this year or decided not to play in ever but then we started a 12-man dynasty league with some guys so that one's that one's very interesting. That one was about a two week long draft, eight hours in between picks, that whole thing. So that was my first sleeper draft. Okay. But we'll see how that goes. This dynasty thing, I'm a little apprehensive on. Love it. All right. Grayson Rodriguez to wrap. Should we jump back into baseball? Sure. Let's do it. Because G Rod, G Rod had another solid outing last night in LA, but this guy shoved at home against Chicago last week. And, and Grayson Rodriguez has been kind of a different pitcher since he came back from being optioned. He was struggling. What was it like a six and a half, seven arm before he went down? Yeah. Yeah. It was a seven. He comes back up and he looks like a different beast, man. And I want to walk through a couple of fastballs, a couple of changeups. And I've got, I think two sliders and a curveball as well here. So let's start with the fastballs. This is three, two, to Lenin Sosa, who's a young guy, rookie, and it's just a hundred painted right by him. And then you've got the 91st pitch of the game where he's going 98 up and into Tim Anderson. Like it's so simple to the naked eye and to the untrained eye. But when you see this cat unleash 198 in these spots, what are you seeing? Yeah. I mean, first off, he's a big, big boy, right? So the, the, the idea that he's getting out there, I don't know what his extension numbers would say, right? We've talked before about kind of not all 100 is created equal, but when you're 6'4", six, 6'5", six, whatever he is, and if he's getting out decent extension-wise, like these balls are getting on him. You can see this is away and he's late, which typically the ball away is going to play a little slower, right? They talk about if you throw 95 down the middle, it's like 96 97 on this side and it's 93 on this side right just the reaction time yeah so to get to get punch away like that that ball's got to be going good and then you see you know the opposite effect right um but no that's a pretty good throw i don't know i can't tell if that's a two-seamer it's just like kind of the high arm side but this one seems to have a little more like jump run to it yeah but that, that... Change-ups is change-ups is pitch right yeah yeah that was going to be my question was with the fastball, you see kind of glove side, 
Obviously, when you when you go glove side, it may not have as much run. It, it, it the one that goes arm side there and the carry in on on TA. It, it, do you think those are like intentionally two different pitches, or is that just a release point that can cause the action to be a little bit different for pitchers? It can be either. I don't I don't know if he throws a two seamer or not. Obviously, those two pitches look different, but they're in the two locations that they would look the most different. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, but for him that like being able to do that is huge because if the, I know that the breaking balls are good. They're not, you know, he's been known for the changeup, but being able to get balls up into righties for him is going to be so big. If he's going to be trying to play the, the changeup under to righties. Yeah. Jumping to the changeup. Now I've got a three, two changeup to Oscar Colas lefty hitter. And he just dots it on the inside yeah. corner. And then we've got another lefty lefty. And he's off the plate away, and he gets a little rollover from Gavin Sheets. I this yeah, I mean, the, is... the differentiator, you know, the speed difference on these is really, really good. Obviously, there's some movement to them as well, and and seemingly late movement where it buckled that guy. But you know, you, you just it's all about spin, right? As as long as he sells it and he spins it good, like changeups just a tough tough pitch to handle for these guys, especially. However, that's being perceived like it's coming at him. You know what I mean? And typically it's hard to get both to get those two reactions from lefties, one on the inside and one on the out, like inner third, outer third, right? So that thing must hold its plane pretty good for him to get a swing over there when it's kind of buckling the other guy, if that makes sense. Yeah. When when people say late movement and things like that, and you, you can kind of see that the fade on these pitches – is that just kind of an innate thing that happens or or what can a pitcher do to be able to contribute to that, that movement being maybe a little bit later uh, and closer to home plate? Yeah. I mean, I think with the, with the major league baseball, like any movement you're going to get is going to be later typically because of the seam structure, right. Compared to a college ball, you, you know, you used to watch college games and these pitches would be huge. That's just because they were moving earlier because of this, the height of the seams but major league balls are harder to get to move in general, right? So when you do it right, it's going to move late. And if you don't, it's not going to move as much. So the changeup is kind of a different animal just because it's not super seam dependent in terms of ripping on a seam to spin it. Um, but no, I mean, it's a quality changeup. So obviously throwing a hundred with that behind it, he's going to have a chance. And then we've got what slider or curveball. We got slider here um, and OKC's in Sugarland this week. You're not going to see this former Skeeter slash space cowboy, Corey Lee. Um, but you've got this slider here uh, where you, the bottom just kind of falls out here. And then a first pitch slider to Luis Robert that he yeah. lays off. But it's a fun OO pitch to one of the yeah. better hitters in baseball. This I got the sweepy so slider going. This one just stays arm side on him. So he gets the downer to it. Yeah. That's another follow-up. So, like, intent versus just result there. Are those two different variations that he's intentionally throwing differently, uh, you think? I would imagine, like, he probably, in a nutshell, in a bullpen situation or whatever, wants the second one more than this first one. But that thing's got some teeth. Like, this is more like what he has in his head, I bet. Yeah. Got it. Uh, But if you think about throwing that pitch and you're going to clip it and it's going to spin like this, if you leave it arm side, you're going to get more to the front and get more of the downer. Got it. And this is a pitch that this guy has historically chased in Luis Robert too. Like this is 
yes, it looks like, I guess, a bad miss, but I feel like it's not really to a guy that consistently goes after sliders, loving away, really until he put together what's he's on pace for what, like an eight war season this year, seven yeah, season? Crazy. Like it's nuts. And and a lot of that is because this guy has figured out how to kind of lay off this pitch, but how hard of a pitch is this to lay off of? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think more so than what he chases or whatnot, you're, you've got two outs in the top of the first inning. It's an OO slider. Right. And I think that kind of shows the the respect that he's garnering around the league. Yeah. Typically you're going to try and set him up for the second or third of bat by not showing him that pitch that early, but I guess it's kind of a, a respect factor for him, but um, you know, it, Throwing 100, you think, like, all right, let's just throw it in. Like, let's see where we're at. But, um, no, if they want to set up the at-bats that way, that certainly pitching backwards is, is something that a lot of us do to try and combat some of these guys that can really hit the heater. Another first pitch, two outs. This is to a lefty, and he really didn't throw many curveballs here. Curveball usage, if I'm not mistaken, has gone down. Cutter mm-hmm. usage is pretty much slashed entirely, but curveball usage since he's come back is is pretty down. But this was first pitch to Gavin Sheets, lefty. Yeah. I mean, it's 84. It's harder than I think your typical, like, true curveball, yeah? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a huge curveball, but for him to have something to kind of dump in there, I guess, for lack of a better term, yeah. um, to kind of protect those the three-pitch mix, right? Like he's, I don't think he's going to really intend to use that as like a pitch to get guys out a ton, right? It's just to set up the bat, get into the bat. Um, not not super dissimilar from his slider, though. I was going to ask that. So something that people talk about a lot, especially with prospects and and players that are pitchers that are developing, is it sometimes their breaking ball and their curveball can can blend together. Uh, for pitchers what's a way to be able to, to really differentiate that? Is that really just playing with grips and feels and things like that? Because it seems like a pretty common thing across. Yeah, I mean, pitchers. if you watch that slider, it looks like kind of that fits his arm slot a little bit more. You look at like the difference in aggressiveness, right? So watch this throw and it kind of matches the arm. The body's going forward. There's momentum. This is a little more manipulated, if that makes sense. Just no, because- you can see it. His arm slots a little like, low. He's almost less loose. Less loose. He's yeah, because he's trying to make sure he gets to the front of it, right? Which is the farthest thing you can do is get all the way out there. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, as long as he can make that tight and and throw it for a strike where it's not hung, <clears throat> then that's definitely something he's gonna keep in there, keep in the arsenal, you know. But I think he's his success is gonna come off that the fastball change up probably and with the occasional slider to, to get the righties out. Next time we well, chat, we'll have uh what? Yeah. Oh no. So I was actually, I had one more question I was, I was excited about. Sorry. Um, I, I saw Greg, we had pitching ninja on and, and he, that episode's going to come out on, on Thursday. He just had Greg Maddox on and they were talking about the O2 quote unquote waste pitch and, and how that's not a real thing. I just wanted to get your perspective on, on that really quickly because as you know, pitching ninja kind of laid out, Rob was saying it in a world of pitch counts, you, you want to definitely be as efficient as possible. Of course, you don't want to groove one in there. Oh, two, but, but what's your mentality? Oh, two. And, and, and what do you think about, you know, kind of the, the idea that a waste pitch doesn't exist. Like that's not really a thing as Fred Maddox yeah, was saying. I, I mean, I think as you get 
higher and higher level of professional baseball or baseball in general, the idea of like striking out looking is, is kind of less, there's less like impending doom if you strike out looking, right? Like, and literally you strike out looking, as long as you touch it, you got a pretty good chance of getting on base. And so coaches want you to swing and want you to swing and want you to swing. And, um, you know, in today's game, like, you kind of just want to hit the ball hard. And if it's a pitch you can't hit hard, like, take it. You see so many of these guys that hit 30, 35, 40 homers that walk a ton and strike out a ton. And and that's kind of is what it is. And I guess, you know, to circle back to your question, like, the waste pitch was intended to, like, put a ball in an area where they can't hit it hard, but they're trying to, like, defend the plate. Yeah. And now that, now that striking out looking is kind of not – as bad as it used to be that that O2 waste pitch has kind of lost its luster, I guess. It's a great point. Yeah. All right. Next time we talk, I, I think you're going to have uh, what, another rehab under your belt, right? Yeah, that's the plan. Exciting stuff, man. We're, we're amped and we're kind of nearing the end of our, our weekly visits, which is sad, but um, a <laughs> lot more to come down the yep. line. And uh, we're fucking amped to see you back on the Hill in a Dodger uniform. If, if you know life and in baseball allow this this summer so dude appreciate you and uh, we'll talk to you next week sounds good